Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. We have an extra long tale for you this evening, so I won't take up much of your time tonight before we dive in. A quick note of warning before we do, though, this particular tale has some stronger-than-usual trigger warnings, so make sure to check the show notes. Our story this evening comes to us from R.A. Busby. Winner of the 2020 Shirley Jackson Award for Short Fiction for her story, Not the Man I Married, R.A. Busby is also the author of the stories Bits, Street View, Holes, and other works of deliberately disquieting fiction. I was always instructed to write about what I know, she states, and I know what scares me. In her spare time, R.A. Busby watches cheerfully gruesome horror movies and goes running in the desert with her dog. Children of the Night, join me for R.A. Busby's Shut Your Eyes While Mother Sings, a Tales to Terrify original.
do it. Just do it. Sarah stood by the garbage disposal, listening to the whispers in the corner and letting the water wash everything clean. When she was sure the house was empty, she'd come downstairs to find the sink awash in brown slop, the remains of Kevin's coffee and eggs, she supposed, a parting gift before leaving her for a late day at the firm. There was the pan, his cup, and, floating on the greasy surface, a lone rubber nipple. Pinching the nipple from the water with a grimace, she flung the thing in the trash. The baby could never use it now. Sarah rubbed her fingers along her bathrobe, but when she put them to her nose, she still imagined the stench of eggs there, fertile and sulfurous as hell. God, she was so tired. Shut your eyes while Mother sings, she thought, and let her eyelids droop down for a moment. Just one. With a sigh, she opened them again and turned on the disposal. The foul water swept past the splash guard and plunged into the darkness, and soon she made out the name Macerator 4000 etched around the brushed steel pipe of the drain. Below that, the opening gaped like a dark metallic throat. A growl rose from the mechanism's interior. Sarah thought about the three whirling impellers down there, busily spinning food to the edges where they would be torn into tiny bits and cleaned out with the wastewater. She enjoyed this idea, its cleanliness, its foreverness. Turn foul things to liquid and flush them all away. The hole to the disposal was the perfect size for her hand. When it came, the whisper seemed to emerge from the shadows by the pantry, speaking with a dry, audible insistence. Do it. Sarah knew that sound, that subtle susurration. Poe had named that whispering voice the imp of the perverse, the thing that urged, do it. It was that impulse you got on a two-lane highway where a jerk of the wheel would plow you into oncoming traffic. The one on the plane asking what would happen if you grabbed the emergency release handle on the wing exit and gave it a good, hard midair yank. Do it. The first time Sarah encountered the voice had been the year she'd married Kevin, the year she'd flunked college. Her sister Connie had turned up a place for her, affordable if she paid each month in cash. Though the studios were tiny and dark, the top floor had a small wooden deck. She'd been fighting with Kevin then. She couldn't remember why. The age gap, maybe? her move to a new place. The ex-wife she'd found out about that week. She's unstable, Kevin had said. Crazy. Not able to have kids. A million meds. Trust me, you don't want to know. But she had, and the discussion ended badly. Either way, 
Sarah had accomplished the move-in by herself, and by evening, she just wanted a break. A breeze. The deck would do. Beyond the deck, the roof was flat as a shoebox. She'd ease to the edge, conscious of wind pushing at her back with gentle fingers. Peering over, she traced the red brick building down to the alley where a woman in a housecoat shuffled behind an old chihuahua, and Sarah heard, You should, you know, jump. She'd been wearing pink flip-flops. Sliding them off, she curled her toes over the edge as if it were a diving board. In high school, she'd been on the swim team. Try it. Just see. Now, standing at the sink in the silent house, Sarah imagined if she made her fingers into a pinched beak, they would feed into the disposal more easily. She could jam them into the clattering chunk of the impellers and feel them bite in before the whirling grind plates chattered at her fingertips, whittling them down like library pencils. No doubt there would be spatter, she considered, imagining how difficult it would be to clean the wood blinds above the sink. She doubted the cuts would be neat. As her fingers traced the M-A in macerator, she imagined herself tugging out her mangled arm and holding it aloft, clinically examining shredded finger flesh dangling raw and pink in the window light, the disturbing ivory chunk of human bone and threading nerves like angel hair pasta. If she shoved her arm in deep enough, to her wrist maybe, would the impellers get tangled in her tendons? Would the complicated chunks of her hand cause the mechanism to jam and overheat? If that happened, they'd certainly have to call the plumber. Well, Kevin would. What would he say? See, that would be a conversation. No, she thought, not now. At that, Sarah turned off the disposal and caught a whiff of her flesh below her bathrobe. I smell like rotten meat, sweat and piss and milk and ass and blood. Connie would tell me I need a bath. In the warm wash, she could pour in mineral salts, the lavender kind, and lather up the hair which had hung down her face in greasy brown chunks for the last two weeks. She remembered doing laps in the YMCA pool, letting herself merge with the water, floating free in suspended time, an aqueous silence where she might find something resembling absolution. Peace. But that would mean looking at herself, looking down at herself. She could not do that. Not this time. Things had gone wrong during the birth. When they'd arrived, Sarah was dilated to ten. Pointing at the elevated bed, the nurse ordered her to climb up, but she could only throw herself sideways across the mattress, 
unable to move as the nurse probed her vagina with two hard fingers. The next words Sarah remembered hearing her say were, I feel a butt. At this, the room exploded with technology, monitors and medicines and men, and there had been a shot in the spine between contractions so violent they bent her body backwards in a bow. She called for Kevin, and perhaps he had been there, but she didn't remember. As far as she knew, she was alone. Papers were shoved under her nose, and she initialed them, not knowing what she'd signed away. Probably her life. Some hours later, she awoke alone in the plastic hospital silence. Her hand darted to her belly, the moving ball that had pressed and jabbed and poked but now only wobbled beneath her fingers, a lifeless, flaccid mass. It was empty. She was empty. And in that minute, she understood this emptiness was a fundamental truth. Everything leaves. As Sarah swung her uncertain feet away from the bed, a warm liquid clot slid lazily from between her legs. Walking upright was not possible, so she made her slow way to the bathroom, bent double, like a question mark. And the question I'm asking is why? The shower was white and impersonal, with tiny soaps and shampoos. On the counter was a washcloth and a towel. In the shower, a plastic bench. She ran the water until it grew warm and laid the hand towel down, knowing she couldn't stand upright for long. She fumbled with the ties on the hospital gown and slid it off, then stared down at herself in disbelief. They're joking. This must be a joke. Someone had dressed her in white fishnet panties, as if she were a stripper bride. The panties were stuck to her flesh with blood, and she stepped into the shower to let the warm water loosen them. I still look kind of pregnant, she realized, running her hand over the midsection, scored red with stretch marks, a rubbery blob that seemed about to slip off her actual body. With a hiss, she tugged at the waistband until the panties came away in a sodden wad. Then she saw what they had done. Across her abdomen, from hip to hip, was a jagged row of staples, a bloody zipper in her flesh, and she realized, Oh God, I'm stapled. I'm stapled. I'm Frankenstein. They hauled out my guts and they shoved away my intestines and yanked out my uterus into the air and they sectioned me and they cut me open. They nailed me. They stapled me. They stapled me. Oh, God. She screamed under the water for a long, long time. The house seemed strange to her. It had since they'd returned from the hospital. They'd stepped inside Sarah holding the baby like some delicate and tenuous bubble, and Kevin holding the door. When it closed behind her, she didn't recognize the place as her own. The room felt artificial, 
a stage on which they were playing house. She hoped the feeling might go away after a few days, but it had not. In the living room, Sarah now stared at the magazines and crossword puzzles Kevin's mother Linda had left scattered on the TV tray, along with a napkin printed with a lipstick smear. Whoops, the props are out of order, how careless. She sighed. It all needs cleaning. I should clean and try to pump an ounce or two before Linda and the baby come back. And then I should empty the diaper pail because I can smell piss and baby shit and the stink gets in my hair. I should... In the end, it was easier to crawl upstairs, pull the blue comforter over her face, and hide where the shadows would embrace her. She closed her eyes, drinking in the ache there, the staring weariness, the emptiness, and prayed for sleep, just a tiny little sleep, an inconspicuous sleep where the voices would stop. What if it needs me? Why aren't you there with it? You should, you should, you should. In about 20 minutes, Kevin's mother would come back with her clatter and her thumping, with the carrier and her protests of, Oh dear, this thing is so very hard to handle. Because Linda refused to consider using a baby sling since it looked primitive, and they'd never had such things when Kevin was an infant, never at all. And did Sarah imagine she was a kangaroo? and the baby would start to cry again with its thin wail cycling up and down like the disposal, and it would be Sarah's turn to feed it because she had the titties. Yeah, baby, show me them big old cow titties, and she couldn't anymore. Not today. Not until her breasts healed. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. If anyone touched her, even the fucking baby, she would scream and scream, and nursing felt as if she were suckling a cat with a rasping sandpaper tongue scraping on her nipples, scraping them raw, eating down the nipples to little bleeding nubbins as soon as the baby latched on and stopped crying, Sarah would start. She didn't think she could. Not today, not this time. No. 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 These days, Sarah stayed alone in the guest bedroom Kevin used for office storage. Ultimately, it was easier. Always a restless sleeper, she'd worsened in the third trimester, and he'd complained about her getting up and down. I can't help it, she'd explained. I'm pregnant, Kevin. I have to pee. As soon as she stood by the bathroom, there came a painful twinge as some baby toe poked at the mouth of her cervix. Oh, goody, it's a DIY pap smear, she thought, whirling for the toilet before she pissed on her feet. I'm employed, Sarah. I have to sleep, he'd called back, shoving pillows around his head and turning away. In the evening when she came back from the store, she found him setting up a futon for her between his file cabinets and the potted palm that never quite got enough sun even though the windows faced the sea. He'd bustled about, 
showing her the creature comforts in her new sleeping quarters, the pillows, the blankets, framed picture of her mother and older sister Connie on an end table, the ocean view, the heating pad, a tray where drinks could sit without ruining the old wood floor. So I guess I'm alone now, she said, trying to keep her voice light. Well, Kevin responded, pointing to her belly, except for the baby. No, seriously, it'll be so much better for the both of us, right? Right, she'd said. Be grateful, she told herself. At least you have a house. At least you have a room. At least you're not alone. Be grateful Kevin kept his job, unlike you. Hard to teach cardio when you can't get through a class without puking, am I right? Wee! And you figured college bulimia was fun. Well, they can't afford the liability if you go into labor during HIIT, so see ya. Well, at least Kevin had not put her in the nursery. It was an uncluttered, calm space with a white bureau, a fabric box for tiny newborn diapers, a white wicker tray for wipes, and beside the window, she'd placed a crib with its snowy bumper and sheet. At the foot was a little pile of stuffed sheep, and at the head, a tinkling mobile. It was clean and new and bright and very pure. Smiling, she'd posted a picture for the Mommy Board's birth club online. The next day, she read the replies. Jesus, did she put a pillow and blankets in there? WTF. Crib death alert, dumb FTM. FTM, first time mom. Because I bet she doesn't even know what that means. Those crib slats look wider than two and three-eighths inches. Agree with the other poster. Wide slats equals bad. Babies getting their heads stuck equals really bad. She'd taken it all down. When Linda had arrived a day later, she'd bustled upstairs to the nursery and pursed her lips at the newly stripped crib. Well, she'd smiled stiffly, I'm sure you've been too busy to worry about doing anything in here. As Kevin made his way to the nursery, Linda raised her penciled eyebrows. And where can I sleep, dear? Ma, we figured you... Linda waved a dismissive hand. I see. I don't need a room, just a couch. A chair? I won't be any trouble to you at all. Not one speck. And you'll need the help soon, won't you? She patted Sarah's elbow and smiled brightly, a smear of frosted lipstick on her teeth. We can go shopping? Ma, Kevin said, it'll be good for the new mommy to be up and about doing things herself. Gotta get used to it. He glanced at Sarah. Right? Right, Sarah had murmured, staring out the window at the cold, dark sea, at the waves that whispered on the sands. Now upstairs, lying down in the empty room in the empty house, she heard waves, the wind, the lonely gull song, and in that moment almost drifted off.
Then the outside door banged open, and she heard the baby cry. When Sarah came down, Linda had already turned on Jeopardy. Well, she exclaimed, glad you're awake, sleeping beauty. She lowered the volume and patted the couch for her to sit. We had such a good time. Linda peered over her half-glasses at the baby, still in the infant carrier. We met people and a few doggies and the duckies at the fish pond, right? And you are simply the sweetest little baby ever. Her foot knocked the carrier a bit, and Sarah saw the baby juggle sideways. Frowning, she bent and fumbled under the blankets until she found what she'd been looking for. In her hand lay the unfastened safety belt. From the shadows came stifled laughter, the teasing whisper voice over her shoulder. Say it, say it, double dog dare you, say it. Sarah cleared her throat. Linda? Yes, darling. Linda turned the volume down. When you went to the park, you didn't... Sarah began again. Remember the good girl rules. Don't be irrational. Don't be emotional. Don't raise your voice. Don't argue. Keep calm and carry on. Keep on your sunny side up. Keep... Say it, say it, say it, do it. Crash, pull, jump. Linda, she said, keeping her voice low. When you came home, did you unbuckle the baby? I'm sorry? Unbuckle the baby after you went to the park. Linda paused, laying her crossword aside. I don't believe so. Why? The strap isn't fastened. Neither is the chest thing. Her mother-in-law waved a hand. Oh, well, that. I don't understand how you can tolerate all those buckles, and why do they have to make them so difficult? My God, you practically need a PhD to put a child in a baby bucket. But you needn't worry. Everything was perfectly... The strap wasn't fastened. But I told you it was perfectly... The strap wasn't fastened. The strap wasn't fastened, Linda. The strap wasn't fastened. The discussion had not gone well. Upstairs, Sarah coiled herself around the baby, shoving a pillow beneath her aching head. Connie's picture smiled down at her from the end table, and with an abrupt ache bursting from her in sudden sobs, she wished her sister could be here. Connie with her ginger hair like fire, her warm skin, her solid arms, her laugh that shook the world to manageable size. Oh, but Kevin doesn't appreciate that, does he? No, he did not. He did not enjoy laughter unless he was the one laughing, and he did not appreciate being taken to manageable size. Bit by bit, he'd driven a wedge between them that hurt. I get it, Connie remarked that first year after the wedding. But I don't have to like it, Sarah. You just have to get to know him, she'd protested. 
He's... Connie waited for her sister to finish. Then she said, Do you feel loved, Sarah? Sarah could not reply. For a moment, she believed if she were to answer Connie's question, there would be nothing left for her but a blank white existence in which she floated alone in an Arctic sea. And now, there was no Connie. Only the punctuated sounds from Linda complaining to Kevin, and beneath their voices, and somehow around their voices, Sarah heard the murmurs in the darkness saying, You can see it, can't you? Can't you? Oh, yes. She could see it. She'd been seeing nothing else from the moment she picked up the unfastened buckle. Linda would pick up the carrier by its handle, letting the weight dangle sideways as she fumbled for her purse. Meanwhile, the baby, swaddled like a human burrito with only a small head poking out, would be asleep. Then, on the porch, Linda would reach her thin hand for the railing and take her first rolling step down the stairs. The carrier would lean at a perilous angle, and the baby would tip out. Just like that. His body would flip and rotate, a tiny gymnast on the bars. The heavy head swinging down and out, the skull would hit the concrete step, then bounce down the two stairs below, each time leaving an abrupt red blood splat, like a burst water balloon. And then it would be dead. The image played over and over in the empty darkness. It played with her eyes shut. It played with them open. It played after Kevin came upstairs to tell her how embarrassed he was by her behavior. Embarrassed for himself, for her, for them both. Sarah said nothing. Finally, he sighed. Look, I understand this whole thing was unexpected, right? But ultimately, this was our decision, right? He squeezed her fingers. Still, I meant it when I said I'd pitch in. That's why I called Ma. And yes, she can be a pain, but you've gotten your way. She'll be leaving early, and in the meantime, she's trying to help you. Your own mother would have wanted it, don't you think? Sarah stared at the pictures Kevin had put on the end table, forcing herself not to cry when she came to Connie's photo. For a long time, she'd let her eyes run over the picture beside it, the woman in the hospital bed with black hair falling in a shadow over the infant held in her arms. That's me she's holding there, she thought. She looks tired, too. At last, she said, I don't know what my mother would have wanted. I didn't get a chance to know her. Hey, Kevin lifted her chin. I'm going to take you to Dr. Wiseman for your post-whatever checkup. How about that? Have him answer your questions, give the old once-over, take out those ugly old stables. I don't really... She sighed. Okay. And until Linda leaves, I'm sure you'll be glad to have a little mommy help, right? He waited. Right. So you'll apologize. His voice came to her as if through glass. 
and before her eyes the same thing over and over. Tip, flip, drop, bounce, splat. After an hour waiting, Sarah finally allowed herself to slump backward on the doctor's office bed, its plastic surface covered with crackling butcher paper to protect the upholstery from whatever might leak out of here. No shadows here, she thought, staring at the bright fluorescent lights. Her eyes seemed swollen and sandy, and when she closed them, they sucked all the moisture from her lids, so she kept them shut, but when she did, there were visions. Can't you see it? Tip, flip. Sarah frowned, listening harder. Above her, the fluorescence buzzed. As she lay with her knees to her chest, it felt as if she listened hard enough she could perceive words in the silence. And then... The door to the examination room opened. Afternoon, said the doctor, yanking back the curtain with a rattle. Glad you came by, uh... He glanced at the chart. Sarah. He clicked his pen. So, we're here for the postnatal checkup. Baby sleeping through the night yet? She stared at him. I was kidding, he chuckled, drawing on a nitrile glove. Gotta remember to sleep when the baby sleeps, or you'll get a bad old case of mommy brain. Mommy brain? He chuckled. Mommy brain is when a woman's scatterbrained, more than usual. Hormones. He noted this on a chart and looked down at the checklist for patient concerns. So, how's Mama's breastfeeding coming along? Sarah shook her head, the limp strands falling over her eyes. Not so well. The obstetrician clicked his pen. Good. Well, let's take a look, shall we? He tugged at her hospital gown and pulled it lower, examining her nipples. Both were red and swollen and the left one had scabbed. Yes, they do seem inflamed, he murmured, and made another note. Now, let's check your incision. Lie back, please. He prodded at the staples in her abdomen. I believe we'll pull these out. It might hurt. It did. Fully awake now, Sarah stared up at the acoustic tile and bit her lips each time he wrenched a stable out and dropped it on the tray with a tiny metallic dink. Well, that's that, he said. She peered down herself, over the unreconciled flesh that hung around her waist. The incision was uneven, and on the left, a bit of skin pooched out above the bright red scar like a pouting lip. Will that go away? She pointed to the pooch. What? That? Oh yeah, sure. He nodded absently. And don't you worry. Everything else down there is just fine. He pointed at her vagina with his clamp. Good thing about a C-section is that there's no need for a hubby stitch. Sorry? 
Above his mask, the doctor winked at her. Hubby stitch. Extra tuck down below to tighten things for daddy. Real good after a tear or an episiostomy. He sighed. Now with all the sections, we don't do those as much anymore. With this, he stripped off his gloves, washing his hand in the little steel sink. So, any questions? Even in this shadowless room, she perceived a low laugh from behind her and the whispers. Cut those cunts. Sew them up with a little nip and a tuck just the way you want. Give a bitch the hubby stitch. Tight V for teeny V. Say it, say it, say it. Sarah shook her head. All righty, the doctor said, then turned and left the room. Linda departed for the airport, limps pinched in a tight goodbye to Sarah, who watched expressionlessly as her mother-in-law descended the stairs. Tip, flip. With Linda gone, Kevin took a day or two off, but that was all he could spare. Sorry. Team's presenting next week, so... He shrugged. Well, at least I'll be here to babysit. I could take the kiddo to the supermarket while you take a little nappy. That'd be good, right? Right, she'd said, knowing there would be no such thing. Upstairs and alone. Now sleep while the baby sleeps or you'll get a bad case of mommy brain. She imagined Kevin at the market. He'd park his car near the wide open entrance, chirp the alarm, and whistle an aimless tune as he ambled down the parking lot, pocketing his keys, the door to the market wishing open with a cool air kiss on this hot summer day. He'd pause at the deli case, she imagined, examining labels to check the carb content for the pre-made sandwiches and the supermarket sushi, the protein and the fresh garden salads. He'd exchange a few words with the counterperson, a half pound of aged Swiss, he might say. But in her mind, she saw the entrance, and near the entrance, the car, and in the car, forgotten in its rear-facing seat, the baby. The temperature in the car edged past 80. For a moment, the child stared ahead in unblinking silence and began to cry, then scream. Inside, the temperature rose to over 120 degrees. Not long after, the baby fell silent while Kevin, lingering in the produce section, sniffed the stem of a perfect Roma tomato and put it in his cart. The whispers came now, gentle and insistent. See it, see it. You can, can't you? She could. There would be blisters on its skin. It would be red, like aroma tomato. How could you even live with yourself? What kind of mother? Sarah waited until Kevin was immersed in a game, cheers and air horns from the stands drowning out every other sound. The nursery hinges creaked a bit, but he'd never hear it. Sarah closed the door and tiptoed to the crib. 
There was no baby. In the center of the mattress lay a foul and spreading blackness, a dark, oozing blot where her child should have been that stunk like meat and death. I ate it. So tasty. What kind of mother? Her breath chuffed out in high-pitched whines. With an inarticulate cry, she leaped to the window, yanking on the shades until they opened and hung there askew, then rolled back to see things in the light. Oh my fucking God, oh fucking God, Linda. Once safely there, the mattress now overflowed with the animals and pillows Sarah had taken out, and her child lay face down beneath a dark blue decorative quilt. Heart hammering, Sarah tore the quilt away and hurled it to the floor, hands clawing at the stuffed things, digging them out, flinging them everywhere. Get them out, no crap in cribs. And never, ever face down, stupid FTM, what kind of mother vomit, SIDS, crib, death, brain damage, back to sleep, get it, they go on their back, stop fucking with my baby. Panting, she lay her trembling fingers between her baby's shoulder blades. Beneath them, she felt warmth, softness, a steady rise and fall, sleeping breath. Her knees buckled with relief. There came a hammering at the door. Sarah, what's going on? The knob rattled. I got an alert on my phone saying the camera's knocked over. Is something wrong? What the hell, Sarah? Kevin's voice was muffled, distant, as if he spoke through water. After a moment, it faded away. Sarah took a basket and laid the child inside, on its back so it can breathe, being careful not to wake it. And when she stepped out, the hallway was empty. Kevin, she presumed, had gone downstairs to find a key. She frowned, wondering when she'd locked the nursery door, but supposed it didn't matter. The baby stirred, a tiny spit bubble forming on lips pink as the pout of a conch, and settled down to sleep against the clean white sheets in the clean white basket. Inside the office, Sarah let out the breath she didn't realize she'd been holding and placed the basket between herself and the wall. Kevin strode in and flipped on the light. Sarah, what happened? What was that freak out about? He held the phone to her face. On it, the nursery monitor video replayed until the camera fell, and all it played were the desperate panic wheezes of her breathing. I don't know. Kevin snapped his fingers. Sit up. No. For a moment, he was silent. What the hell is wrong with you? He waited for her to respond, and when she didn't, he forged on. Really, ever since you got back from the hospital, you've... He broke off. I don't know what to do with you, Sarah. I just don't. I'm at a loss here moving forward. She gripped the blanket. Moving forward? 
What the fuck? It sounds like he's firing me. Again, she saw that black expanse, that winter sea, and forced herself to speak. Each word felt as if it weighed a ton on her tongue and took a physical wrench to move them from her mouth. I'm sorry, she said at last. I'm sorry, Kevin. I've been difficult. I realize it's been hard on you. It has been hard, he said. You have been difficult. I mean, I've been patient and helpful here, but we need you to move on. He'd gotten up, his hand on the knob, and after a moment he opened it. What the hell is wrong with you? he asked again. She found if she didn't answer him, he would go away. He was good at doing that. It was dark, and as Sarah's eyes winked and blinked and nodded, they fell on her mother's hospital picture. Weary shoulders drooping as she held a bundled baby at her breast. Small Sarah, her final girl. It looked as if her mother's hair had grown longer. Had she imagined it was only dropping near the baby's face before? Now it almost coiled around the baby itself, wrapping it up like a tiny larva in a living cocoon. As she watched, the tenebrous strands seemed to gather force, become darker and thicker near the edges of the photograph, and flow outward from the frame, sliding down the table in a boneless swirl. They moved like undersea algae, slowly, inexorably drifting near her feet. Sarah blinked, eyes raw and red, and understood the black hair was not black at all. No, but shone in countless colors without name. It encircled her, wrapped her and the child together. As it coiled around them both, she heard the shadow whisper softly as a lullaby. You are not alone. Sleep, baby, the dark thing whispered, nestling her in warm black hair. Sleep, baby, sleep. It was like floating in water, like being held up by the sea. Sleep, baby, sleep. Down where the woodbines creep, just shut your eyes while mother sings, and you shall see the beautiful things that rock in the misty sea. For the first time in forever, Sarah slept. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. She woke at dawn, and when the baby stirred, she found herself able to take it from the basket and give it the breast before it could start to cry. Together they lay, dark head by dark head, and breathed the same air and the same rhythm. The early morning light came in a cool glow like the ocean. And when Sarah looked down, she saw a thing she'd never seen before. The child was staring up at her. She realized then that the baby's eyes were beautifully deep, not blue or brown or gray, but all the colors together, a depthless, formless shade, the color of abysses in the sea a look without judgment, hate, or scorn, but only wonder. In the clean light of that gaze, Sarah felt abruptly visible. She sees me. She sees me and knows me as I am. She's been inside me, yes, but she is not me. She is herself. Marin, she said, and ran her fingers over her wide, unfurrowed forehead. Marin, your name is Marin. That's not the baby's name, said Kevin later. Okay, that's it. I don't give a shit what Kevin says. I'm coming out there. You sound terrible. You look worse. Even with her dimmed phone, Sarah could see the anxious concern on her sister's face, and her heart gave an extra beat as if Connie had reached inside her chest to hold it safe. Thanks, sis, said Sarah, but she was laughing. No, seriously, Connie had not lost her frown. Hell, I should have come months ago. I didn't because, well, we both realized Kevin's my number one fan only if we're reenacting misery. 
But tough shit, I say. I'm sorry, hon. I let him keep me away. Anyway, I'd love to see your beautiful daughter. And the name Marin is absolutely perfect. When would be good? I'm sure you already have all the help you can ask for, but... No, Sarah shook her head. I don't, not really. Connie's frown grew deeper. What's not really? Well, he had his mom here, but... <laughs> Mrs. Lipstick Teeth, Connie snorted. She's a piece of work. One day I'll tell you what I overheard her saying at your wedding. No, but seriously, Sarah, you're telling me you have, like, zero help? Not exactly. It was getting very dark inside the room. Since the fight, Kevin had spoken to her only in passing. He was punishing her, she understood. Punishing her with silence, with his closed, cold door, knowing she would eventually break. Cry. Apologize. As she always did. Anything you understand. Anything not to be alone. She tried again. No, not zero help, exactly, but... But close enough for rock and roll, right? Less than two weeks into it and you're flying solo? Jesus. Connie shook her head. I'm not even a parent, but to quote Dr. Spock, what the actual fuck? It's okay. Connie's voice cut through the silence. No, she said. It's not okay, Sarah. Listen, I know this is going to sound extreme, but, well, I want you to come live with me. You and the lovely Marin. We'll figure something out. The air in the room seemed to have grown thicker, denser. Connie was getting harder to make out. Sarah pressed the button for the volume and drank in her sister's voice, and after a moment, the baby stirred, lower lip twitching gently as if nursing a phantom nipple. Shit, she thought. I'm crying on my kid. I was... It was my fault. I shut him out. I... Bullshit. You just had a baby. You're not going to be yourself for the next year, sweetheart, especially not considering mom's medical history, as I'm sure you already knew. Her sister's image flickered. Already know what? asked Sarah, tapping the glass. What, Connie? The picture dimmed, and Connie's lips moved soundlessly before the screen went black. Frowning, Sarah pushed at the power button, held it down and plugged it in, but the phone did not respond. It was a dead thing lying on the floor. When she was certain Kevin had gone to the office for the day, Sarah ventured to the nursery and grabbed baby things, diapers and wipes, a few tiny onesies, an outfit or two. Connie's got a small place. There's no room for all this crap. Just bring the important stuff. Clothing, car seat, boobs, baby. Over and over, she had tried to make her phone work, but it lay there in her hand, a dull black brick. And though Sarah had searched throughout the house, she could not find her old laptop. 
When she'd brought it up with Kevin, he'd poked at the screen for a while and responded stiffly that he didn't see what the problem was. It's okay, she thought. Connie will be here. Connie called. She called. She'll come in a day or two, possibly today. Maybe she's been trying to call me and can't. So she waited. It was all right to wait. She lay on the blanket beside Marin, drinking in those fathomless eyes and marveling at a human so new she had never touched her feet to naked earth. Sarah's hands gently smoothed the twisting black hair on her forehead, the red stork bite on her shoulder. And when the baby cried, she held her in her arms and sang as she gave her the breast, and after a while she would soothe again to sleep. And in the evening, her mother came. She stole in like a shadow at the hour between sun and starlight when everything seemed calm, and Sarah was almost asleep beside her child. Then the tendrils of hair would spin out from her portrait and curl around them both, and there they would nestle, all three coiled in that dark web as the world slowed down and faded into night. She could wait. Mother was here. I will show you, she said, the fall of her hair weaving over Sarah's face. In the dream, her abdomen swelled in a vast skin bubble so taut below the navel that she thought, if I so much as touch it, it will burst. And suddenly it did. Her body blew open like a rotten tulip, wet meat shards dangling down in hanks to stain the hospital bedsheets a guilty, steaming red. From her belly streamed a font of inky darkness, a hot black flow covering the ceiling and dripping down on her, waters from a warm, embracing sea. I'm in the disposal. I'm in the disposal. I'm... Mother's here. The doctor shoved the curtain to the side with a clatter. In his hand was the heavy stapler from Kevin's office desk, and bending over her, he hummed abstractedly as he jammed it into her again and again. Chunk, chunk, chunk. Fusing flesh like Frankenstein's. I'll give you a little staple down there, too, he pointed at her vagina. Stitch that bitch. Trap that hubby inside so he can't get away. He winked at her. That's why they call it a snatch, after all. You realize Kevin's on his way out the door, Sarah. Right? Right, she said. He's not working late. Not really. Hell, that was probably the same thing he told his ex-wife. You remember that. She sighed, feeling him jam the stapler into her perineum and press down hard. Thunk. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose I did. The tears trickled down her cheeks. I deserve this. I made my bed and now you're lying in it. Right, she said. The doctor frowned. 
then reached into his pocket. Seems you have a call. Sarah looked up and saw he was holding a black phone before her face. On the screen, Connie appeared, her image flickering in and out. As she spoke, her voice seemed to emerge from a wild static, the sound of snow or rushing waters like the sea. Connie? I have to talk fast, Sarah, before she... Sarah, I... Ming to you soon. Please. The picture flickered, as if Connie's face floated beneath green waves. In the last moment before the screen faded to black, her sister held out a hand, as if to reach through and touch her. She's being drowned out, she thought. She's being drowned. You don't need her, Sarah, came a gentle voice. Puzzled, she looked up. Over the surgical mass, she spotted a woman's face. Her mother's eyes. Her mother smiling down. Listen to me. Only me. I don't understand. I do it. She frowned. What do you mean? Her mother smiled. Do it. When I did it, I simply floated away. It didn't hurt. Not at all. And in the long run, it was much better for everyone. So much. Sarah shook her head, watching the blood leak from between the staples. Turning her head, she saw she laid on a cold metal tray with channels on either side. Her blood oozed there, flowed past her shoulders and drained away. What did you do? she asked. I took a bath, her mother answered, but now she looked like Kevin. You need to take a bath, Sarah. Take the baby with you. Because really, what the fuck is wrong with you? Your crotch reeks and your butt looks like you just crapped grapes. Besides, you don't even know your baby's real name. Yes, I do, she told him, but she couldn't remember. Good, the doctor replied, patting her on the head. You can see the beautiful things that rock in the misty sea. You know, now that you're empty. And from behind him, there came the husky voice. Do it. Just shut your eyes. Rock in the misty sea. We can be together. Never alone. All of us. She found herself lying in the bath. Down the hall, the baby was crying. Pushing the tangled hair clumps that clung to her cheeks like seaweed, she shook her head and listened. The baby's cries cycled up and up. Thin wails that rose but never seemed to stop. She stepped from the water, trying to avoid her reflection in the bathroom mirror with its blobs and folds and scars and wrapped herself in a towel. 
The door was locked. She'd locked herself in. But why? And when? Her feet left wet track marks down the hall as she followed the sound from the nursery. And for a moment, she hung back, remembering that spreading darkness in the crib, that black spot that stank of meat. Still, when she peered over, there lay the baby, chubby legs drawn up to its belly and wailing, face tight and red with rage. She picked it up and carried it to the bathroom, shutting the door behind her. You need a bath, Sarah. Take the baby with you. The water washed over her skin and the baby's, and in the forgiving warmth, she sensed the deep prickles from her milk coming in. Scissoring her nipple between her fingers for the baby to latch on, she soon felt tight legs loosen in the gentle amniotic wet, the feel of skin on skin. With her toes, Sarah edged the tap on again. Not too hot, she cautioned herself. Jesus practically boils her BB like it's pasta. Tell me again why we'd let dumb FTMs live? Much better for everyone if they just floated away. So much. Set water heaters to 120 degrees and keep bath temp at 98 to 99 for infant scrubby time. Smiley face. The bath water rose higher, lapping around her sore breasts. A wet washcloth dangled on the side of the tub, and Sarah gently laid it over the breast of the baby. You don't even know her real name. Wasn't latched onto and sighed, closing her eyes. The rushing water that came low and modulated Mother Murmur, the voice of the shadow, the one that spoke to her gently. The waters rose around her shoulders like a warm arm, cradling her and covering the baby's legs. Sarah dipped down lower, afraid the child would be cold with the air against her naked skin, so pure and undefiled, unlike her own. She saw herself, a foul, blobbed thing, exploded and stapled and bleeding, disposal, and only water could make her clean again but she'd need an ocean's worth to wash it all away, to wash her all away. She closed her eyes, listening to the rumble as the bathwater lapped over her chest. It tickled the baby's chin as she nestled into Sarah's arm. It didn't hurt. In the long run, it'll be so much better for everyone. But take your baby. Sarah bolted upright, skin streaming. Her arms were empty, cold. The bathtub had grown so cold. She'd been listening to the voice in the water, the voice that murmured and caressed. But now, she thought, God, oh God, what was it telling me to do? My God, where's the baby? Where is she? Where's Marin? She pawed frantically down in the bath but it was clear and clean when she stood up. Even when she heaved herself out onto the bath mat, staggering as a wet foot slid on the tile. 
under her damp fingers. The doorknob refused to turn, stubbornly resistant. Locked. When did I? And why? Marin! Until she jerked the shower liner off the bar and wrapped it around the knob for purchase, yanking hard until it finally let her go. Where is she? Where is she? Hair streaming behind her. Sarah plunged her way down the hall to the office. On the floor sat Kevin, and in his arms, red-faced and wailing, legs drawn up and furious, was Marin. In the single light from the desk lamp, Kevin's face seemed older, the lines around his mouth more set, more pinched. He did not look her in the eyes. He looked elsewhere lately. Sarah struggled to listen to him, but his voice sounded distant, muffled. He would not give her the baby. You leave her while you decide to take a bath, having some spa day in there while the baby's screaming her head off all alone. He still would not give her the baby. And I tried to make it easy for you. I brought in my mom, paid for her plane ticket and her hotel because you didn't want her here, and what did you do? I don't know. I do. I know. Unlike you, she's been through motherhood, but you treated her like an idiot until she decided to leave. Early. Naturally, that threw off my schedule because I had to take off work, and where am I at three in the morning? I'm tending to the baby. You let cry and cry while you... I didn't realize she was crying. Kevin snorted. Well, that's part of the problem now, isn't it? He shook his head. Seriously, what the hell is wrong with you? Marin stirred, wrenching up her face. Give her to me. Sarah held out her arms. For a long minute, he fixed his eyes on hers, cold as green ice. When the comforter she'd wrapped around herself slid down, she noticed how his glance fell away to the far corner. Fuck you, she thought. God, fuck you. And when the shadow seemed to deepen in that corner, Sarah did not say a thing. You see, I've made an effort here, but you've... Kevin sighed. Seriously, what do you want? The truth came rushing to her mouth. I want my sister. Kevin shook his head. I want her here, Kevin. She's coming. She doesn't have to stay here, but Connie's coming. I talked to her. He gave a surprised chuckle. Really? To Connie? On your dead phone? He ran his hand through his hair. So, is it broken or not? Or talk to her psychically, like when you stare down the drain, fucking walking dead around here? The shadow, she realized, had slid behind him now. It had crept up to his hand, dark form on the dark floor, pooling by the office chair like spilled molasses, thick and viscid. Inside the blackness, Sarah noticed there were iridescent shifts and curls, like slick rainbow oil 
on parking lot puddles. She bit her tongue hard until the lump in her throat receded somewhat, and she trusted herself to answer him. You asked me, she said. That's what I want. And what I want from you is... He raised his eyebrows. Oh, go on. She looked at him steadily. Nothing. Not your house, not your money, and not you. She gestured to the baby in his arms. Only her. Kevin waited for a long moment. When he spoke again, his voice was quieter, conciliatory. I'm sorry. That's not possible, Sarah. Not right now. You can hardly care for yourself. He eased the child back into the basket. You're just not competent, I'm afraid. I put too much on your shoulders, I admit that. Perhaps you could improve later, but if not, then moving forward, we'll have to explore possibilities. What possa? In the meantime, I've asked my mother to come back. Not an easy ask, he said. Still, when I told her about what's going on with you, she finally agreed. So, the shadow loomed over Kevin now. It spread across the wall behind him like a black-winged bird with feathers ragged as an old crow's. In watching it, she almost lost herself in the color swirl, the patterning and unpatterning she saw within the thing. She could lose herself in there, in that liquid color sea. And in the long run, it'll be better for everyone. Kevin, please, I simply... He held up a hand. I think it's important that we have you speak to Dr. Wiseman, or a specialist, perhaps, someone to talk about your issues, little chatty time. He paused, thinking, and she saw his lips lift a bit at the corners, and also, you know, get you on meds. Please, Kevin, I don't have a problem with meds or therapy. I think that's absolutely worth considering, and maybe you're right. It could be what I need. I'm sure it would help. What I know is that I... I just need to sleep, Kevin. Can we try that first? Please? And Connie, I miss my sister. The tears sprang to her eyes, and she clenched her fists beneath the comforter, despising them, despising herself. Any point she might have made had been washed away with the salt water. Kevin shook his head. The darkness lay on him now, the old crow wings almost encircling his body, wrapping him in impenetrable shadow like a swaddled child. I could, she heard it say, eat him, eat his face, hubby stitch. Sarah closed her eyes and began breathing slowly. Bit by bit, the darkness receded, but not all at once. In slow degrees, it slid from Kevin's back, until at last it seemed merely a shape in the corner, a shadow among shadows. Nothing to see here. So I guess I'm alone now, she said quietly. No, seriously, it'll be so much better for both of us, right? 
He stared at her. Right, he said. The morning was still. The landscape lay like a child's drawing. Squares of blue and green, light sky on empty sea. Ahead, the ocean churned and roared, hissing as it came flooding around her toes, sucking away the earth beneath her feet and tugging her toward the water, bit by patient bit. If she stood there long enough, the rising tide would come to her, or she to it. Either way, it would be a meeting. The weather had turned chill, and the sand was innocent of any prince but hers. Glancing back at the house for a moment, she wondered if Kevin could spy her from the bedroom window, or from the nursery, where she had left the baby resting in her crib, and supposed perhaps he could, if he would look for her at all. The beach was empty. The sea was empty. She was empty. The ocean pulled her feet again, eating at the land in little licks. She ventured closer until it enveloped her legs, the waves rushing back as if offended. She smiled a bit at the oddness of this wild water in which she'd almost never gone. If she listened carefully, she could hear her name hissed out as the waves receded from the sand. It came to her waist now. Taking a breath, she dived below and swam for the first time in forever. For a long while, she simply gloried in the free movement. In this water world, it did not seem to matter that she was dirty, that her hair was unwashed, that she was scarred and torn and sore. Absolution. Purity. All is forgiven, washed away, clean. The waves bore her up, cradled her, and held her, and it seemed no longer cold. On the horizon, the sun rose and a ball red as Connie's hair. She supposed she'd never see her sister's face again. That time on the phone had been the last, and she couldn't even tell anymore if it really happened or not. And now it was too late, and Connie would never learn that Sarah had remembered her on that final day, had imagined the rising sun looking like her hair, and cried to see such beauty in the world. The tears flowed from her and tasted of the sea. Now, farther out, the low-tide swell rose and fell around her, bearing her up like a bird on the waves, something light and boneless and free. Clean. When I did it, I just floated away. Her mother's voice, speaking to her in the dream about birth and the lights and the masks in the hospital. Her mother murmuring in her ear. It didn't hurt. Not at all. I just floated away. What had happened to her mother? Her father never spoke of it beyond a few terse words and scant details. She loved you, he told her, and now she's gone. It was all he would ever say. 
At last he would turn from her to his book, to his chores, to his game. Still, the past lingered in their house like a shadow hidden in the corners, in the dark and always there. But Connie, Connie had said something. Mom, recovering from birth, of not quite being herself. Not being herself, well, who is she being if she's not being herself? Then came a disturbing answer. Perhaps she's being you. Out here, the waves made their own music, their own murmur. Overhead, gulls with wings like startled eyebrows dived and wheeled and fought for floating fish. Here, everything was clean, and she could lose herself. You aren't yourself. You really aren't yourself. And let herself be taken by the sea. Sarah lay back and opened to the water and the sky, encircled in cold green arms that smelled of fish and sun and the salt she licked from her lips. She closed her eyes, rocking in the arms of the sea like a child. And somewhere, she remembered reading that seawater was nearly identical to amniotic fluid. La mer es la mer. The sea is the mother. And my daughter, my daughter whose name means from the sea. Sarah thought, I had an ocean in me, and inside a little fish swimming. And now she was alone. From the beach there came a woman's cry. With a start, Sarah opened her eyes. The empty sea had grown abruptly cold. She drifted farther out than she realized, and near the beach, she spotted a line of breaking water whose white foam lay upon the undergreen like lace. In the midst, though, where she floated, she saw a flattened corridor, a long, smooth rip between the lacy waves. A woman ran back and forth on the sand, arms waving overhead, calling indistinctly. Her voice was swallowed by the ocean. What had Connie said on the phone? I have to talk fast, Sarah, before she... And then she'd be cut off. Before she what? Oh, God, before she what? Why, before she was drowned out? Before she was drowned. With a gasp, Sarah struck out for the beach, breaths coming quickly, but now the sea fought back, as if in a swollen fury at not getting its way. She was swimming as fast as she could, but each stroke appeared to pull her farther out, easing her away from the shore with inexorable languid force. The buildings grew smaller, and between the waves the woman on the beach was barely visible. The sun glinted on her hair, and Sarah felt sure she was Connie, Connie pointing to the east to the rising sun. Her sister's calling carried far, telling her, Shut your eyes. Shut your eyes while Mother sings. No, telling her to swim. Sarah turned parallel to the beach instead, 
to the direction Connie pointed, sputtering as she took in a mouthful of water. I have to cross that part where the ocean looks flat, she realized. It's bad. Whatever it is, it's bad. Her legs churned beneath her as she fought to stay afloat. The current curled about her like a dream, long wet tendrils brushing at her legs, dark human hair that twined about her thighs in a gentle tickle. Then something circled around her ankle and yanked her downward hard. The waters closed over her head and she took in another mouthful of brine, fighting her way to the cold air above the surface. Her legs seemed heavy, but she kicked free from the thing that had coiled about her and now swam harder, her shoulders afire with an unfamiliar ache. She longed to rest, to catch her breath, to lie back and float a little, to shut her eyes for only a moment. Sleep, baby, sleep, and you shall see the beautiful things that rock in the misty sea. Do it. Do it. No, said Sarah, but her arms were heavy, moving thickly in the water, pounding in a rhythm grown irregular and wild. She had finally crossed beyond that flat green expanse, but God, the shore seemed so far, with the waving woman on it nothing but a dot. She gasped for air. Her throat turned to red, raw human meat, understanding at last how deeply she had been betrayed. It had worn her mother's face for her, the shadow. Whose face had it worn for her mother? The secret voice grew deeper now, but it was different. All disguises drowned. No longer did it speak to her in whispers, nor murmur in her mother's voice, nor sing a siren lullaby of beautiful things, but screamed at her in rages and in howls, and she knew it, knew that sound for what it truly was. She was hearing the true voice of the imp, and Sarah understood now what it always said, had always been saying each and every time. It always spoke of death. Do it. Do it. Crash, pull, jump. Just shut your eyes and die. No, she muttered and kicked against the waves. Her voice came louder now. No, not this time. Sarah's shoulders sang with hot pain, but she pressed on, imagining her arms had turned into whirling blades that cut into the sea. The beach seemed closer, and she flew through the water to the woman and the child who waited on the shore. Her eyes and mouth were raw with blood and salt, and down below... Her half-knit belly had ripped open to the sting of the sea that washed her clean and healed her. This is what it feels like to be born, she thought. This is what it feels like to be born. She would bleed, she knew. Oh, surely that was true. 
but she would not be dying. Not anymore. That was R.A. Busby's Shut Your Eyes While Mother Sings, as read by Summer Brooks. Summer Brooks is a bit of a television addict and enjoys putting her sci-fi media geek skills to good use in interviewing guests. She has been a co-host for Slice of Sci-Fi from 2005 to 2009, the co-host for the Babylon podcast from 06 to 2012, and host of Kick-Ass Mystic Ninjas, before returning to Slice of Sci-Fi full-time as host and producer in August of 2014. She's an avid reader and writer of sci-fi, fantasy, and thrillers, with a handful of publishing credits to her name. Next on her agenda, writing an urban fantasy tale and a B-movie monster extravaganza. Currently, Summer designs and maintains websites for clients, in addition to having fun with the Slice of Sci-Fi websites, and also does voiceover and narrations for Tales to Terrify, Starship Sofa, and Escape Pod, among others. Thank you, Summer. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now... Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Lessel Baxter, Paul Belcher, Amanda Carrillo, Amanda Gottfried, and Orion D. Hegra, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify where you'll find all kinds of perks, like ad-free episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Podchaser, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a 5-star rating or review you'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Why not share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch? TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs so you can show those around you just how twisted you truly are. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, Crystal Hammond, Spencer Desparty, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no-derivatives license. Join us again next week as we settle in for one hell of a party with more Tales to Terrify.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.